Well, we've been in our series, we started last week called Stretch, and uh, it's built on the premise of God taking us where we are, but stretching us uh, to be a bigger, larger, better person uh, to accomplish uh, the goal, the mission, the life uh, that we were really created to do. And, um, you know, last week we looked at Abram, who became Abraham, and uh, today we're going to look at at another guy, a guy that deals a lot with conflict. Now, conflict, I think, is something that's in all of our lives. Would you agree with that? Um, And especially the inner conflict, there's conflict, not only that we have with people that we might have a different choice or different way of looking at things, and conflict doesn't have to be like negative and evil and bad and all that stuff. Sometimes, uh, or in my opinion, great things come out of conflict because we learn um, how to stretch and live with each other and, and abide and all those things. But sometimes it's the conflict that exists in us. Uh, It's that person that we know that we are and the person that we want to be. And what happens in between is conflict. And my guess would be that every one of us in the room at some point in time in our life, whether in the past, maybe it's right now, or maybe it's going to happen, you know, weeks from now or months from now or whatever, that you're going to be in some kind of conflict over the person that you are. And that's really what we want to look at in the life of Jacob. Jacob um, is, a, is a guy who spent his life in conflict. Jacob is one that um, saw conflict in so many different ways. And I think that as we look at his life and the brevity of the story that we see of him today, I think there will be a lot of relatable things that we can look at. And um, you know, conflict happens um, in, in so many ways. Think about, we have conflict with our spouses. Anybody ever have conflict with your spouse? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Uh, wives, you've ever been? Has your husband ever been that? No, don't raise your hand. No, but so so we've had conflict with our spouses. <laughs> did my wife raise her hand? <laughs> of course she did. Oh man, wow. I can dress her up, but I just can't let her go out anywhere. <laughs> I'll hear about that one later. Okay, so uh, we're living in conflict right now, aren't we? Okay, so so what we see from that though is that. Um, you know, we have conflict with our spouses, our wives, our husbands. We have conflict with our siblings, uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, we have conflict with our bosses at work. We have conflict with our friends. Um, and we even have conflict with our in-laws. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean that we have conflict with, with all people. So let's, let's take a look at this really important story in uh, Genesis chapter 32. And this is going to set up where, where I want to go today as we look at the story of Jacob. So that night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket on Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, listen to this, let me go because it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Is that interesting? We're wrestling and I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing, okay? Um, Then the man said, um, the man asked him, "What, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Remember in the Old Testament, when when one had their name changed, that was significant. It meant that they were now uh, someone that had power over them. So his name, Abraham, or Abram to Abraham, God had power over Abraham. Now we see Jacob, his name is being changed to Israel, so God is going to have power over over Jacob. Uh, 
please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Um, and then he blessed him. Uh, so he blessed him there. So we see a couple of things happening. Jacob uh, is engaged in a wrestling match at night. And, and the obscure thing is that he doesn't really know who it is he's wrestling with. And uh, the scripture kind of gives us a little window and says that Jacob thinks it's some sort of celestial being, which means either an angel or uh, a representation of, of something of the heavenlies. And some scholars would say that it's a metaphor saying that he's wrestling with, with Jesus Christ. Um, at that particular at that particular moment, so he's wrestling with him, and he's being very tenacious about it, and um, he's wrestling all through the night and getting tired out, and comes to this point where he's commanding or demanding that the person he's wrestling with give him a blessing. Now, this isn't the first time that we come into an experience where Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match. This actually is the second. Um, the very first time we meet Jacob is where we see in Scripture when he comes. Uh, when he's in his mother's womb and his birth and the things that, that come after that. So let me fill you in on a little bit of that out of Genesis 25. Isaac, this is Jacob's father. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. So Isaac and Rebekah um, do not have any children. So Isaac is praying to God. And the Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her. So, so there's already something that's, that's happening. And, and ladies, those of you who have uh, gone through pregnancy, you know when the ch child or twins, children are, are moving inside of you, you can feel that jostling. They, they jostled within her and she said, why is this happening to me? I think that's so funny. You know, she's uh, all of a sudden, well, why is this happening to me? Well, you know, you're pregnant and uh, those things are gonna happen to you. And so she went and she inquired to the Lord. So, so here we learn a little bit about this uh, introduction of Jacob. Um, he is a twin, and he is already fighting the classic sibling rivalry in, in his mother's womb as he's coming into to being, so to speak. And, and I wonder if this opens up the case that with everything that's created or everything that's new, is it possible that conflict will always follow that? Now, go with me here for a second. Let's say you have a hope and dream for your life. You go to school, um, you figure out, I want to try this in life, and, and you go to your parents and you say, you know, I want to be a WWF professional wrestler. And they look at you and say, who are you talking about? You're not going to be that. You know, and your hopes and your dreams, they, they just get taken right out from under you. So, so there's conflict that comes. You know, you can, you can uh, be wanting and desiring and wanting to move in a particular area of your life, and somebody is going to come to you and say, you can't do that. The church, capital C, we are seeing very clearly that, that the westernized Christendom has changed dramatically. And how we are and what we do and how we try to be effective as a church today doesn't work how we used to do it yesterday or 20 years ago, but we have to look ahead in an ever-changing world. We have to learn how to adapt. And as we're looking how to adapt with the gospel message into a world that's changing, there are forces within churches that will say, but it's different than what we used to do. Uh, I remember this and I remember that, and it creates conflict. Are you following me? And conflict is, is a part of, of really everything um, that is about our life. It's scary. So what does Rebecca do? Uh, she takes her dilemma to God. Why is this happening to me, Lord? And we learn something from Rebecca here, and it's really important. When, when something is happening in our life and it's perplexing, 
Usually what we do is we start gathering people that are like-minded with us. That I have a problem with this person and please please tell me that you agree with me that I should be mad at this person or, or whatever the case may be. We gather like-minded people. And, and like-minded people, what are they going to do? They're going to tell you what you want to hear. They're likely not going to tell you the truth because if they don't tell you what you want to hear and then what's that going to do? It's going to create conflict between you and they. So, so Rebecca, we learn from her, when we're in life's dilemmas, when we're in uh, challenges of life and perplexing situations, we shouldn't really just turn to each other first, but we should go to God. And the scripture is very clear that, that God is the one who understands. The scripture says that God knows the number of hairs on our head. It says that God knows the truth of our hearts. That God is the one who fashioned us in God's own image. And because of that, we can wholly trust what we would hear from God in those particular situations. Let's continue with the story. The Lord said to Rebecca, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Now in the ancient world, uh, the rite of passage came from the eldest of birth and with that came a lot of rites. So, so for God to be saying to Rebecca that the older in your womb who will be born first will end up serving the younger, this is a huge turn of events that's gonna happen in that culture. So when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first came out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. And so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Jacob actually translates, one of the names of Jacob translates into heel grabber. So they name him Jacob, and he spends his whole life holding on to something else so that he can try to muster to be first. And that's really what we see here, is Jacob is, even in the womb, coming out of the womb, he is immediately jockeying into position to be first in his family of origin and everything else. In the ancient world, as I said a minute ago, it was so important to be the eldest because especially uh, for, for males, that's how wealth and prestige and family honor was translated and transferred into the community. Back then, women didn't have rights. Women were seen as property. It was all about a very patriarchal society. So what we see in this is that, that Jacob, coming out of the womb, grabbing his brother's heel, he's establishing a me-first mentality. And ultimately, we're going to see that the purpose and goal of his life is going to be to out-trump his brother who was born before him. Because if he can do that, not only will he get the family blessing, but he will get the lion's share of the family's wealth. Now today, you and I, we might go to trust attorneys, we might go to lawyers and, and folks to create wills and testaments and those kinds of things. And for most of us, we're gonna say, okay, if I have two children, it gets half, 50-50. If I have four kids, it's gonna get half, 25, 25, 25, 25. You do the math. But in the ancient world, the eldest got the lion's share. It was probably about 70%. And it didn't matter. And then those that were left over got the remaining 30% and they divided up. So we can see that this is really important. So, so Jacob comes in the world being born with this me first attitude. If I can just be born three minutes before my brother Esau, then I can have the family blessing and I can have the family wealth. He's beginning to say these things. Now, for those of you who don't believe in original sin, then my guess is you've never had children, okay? And for those of you that don't believe in the devil, devil, you've never had middle schoolers. So, uh, but the, <laughs> I love middle schoolers. 
I love middle schoolers. But, but so, so what we see, though, is some significant things that, that happen here. Jacob comes out with a me-first mentality, and it happens from the beginning. And think about it. Um, if you have children or if you've worked with children, we have to instill in them the way to say thank you. We have to teach them say thank you. We have to teach them how to say please. You know, and we're working with our grandchildren all the time when they like say, I want water. Well, what do you say? I want water. No. What do you say? I want water, Poppy. No. Please. Okay, please. And, but, but, you know, when, it, when, when our kids are young, the words that we don't have to teach them that they just seem to learn is no, and what's the other one? Mine. And so we, we know cross-culturally or culturally that, that even in the very beginning, coming out of the womb, our kids seem to have this me-first mentality. Now, um, we are um, empty nesters, so our girls are 30 and 28. They have families of their own, so we live at home alone and, um, you know, all those kinds of things. But we have two little dogs. I'm going to show you a picture of them because this is really important. There they are right there. Aren't they adorable? Everybody say, ah, yeah, aren't they adorable? Well, every morning I get up, or Patty gets up, and, uh, you know, depending upon who gets up first, and those dogs have to go out, okay? If they don't go out, then, well, there's other issues. But so we send them out, and when they go out and they come in, what's the one thing they have on their mind? Their treat, okay? If you've got a dog, maybe you're going to follow me along with this. So then it becomes a race as to who gets the treat first, so, so the white one, uh, who's a Maltese Shih Tzu, she comes in, she'll run and she'll jump across the couch and run across the couch, uh, go catapult a couple of chairs, go around the corner the long way into the kitchen, all the way to the pantry ready to get something. The other one uh, has a poodle mix. And, uh, she, and in her nightly reading, she's found out that the shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line. So she's smart. She's a poodle. So she just goes straight to the pantry. My dog, just like me, goes all the way around and, and gets there, you know. And, and then it becomes, you know, you go in and you grab the treats and you open it up and then you hold it. And it's like the Gatorland Jumperoo. If you know what I mean, if you've ever been to Kissimmee, the Gatorland, they're jumping up like I'm holding a chicken and the giant alligators down there, you know, whoa. And, and I tell you, it gets to be, because it's like me first, me first, and they're convinced if they're first and they get the treat first, then somehow it's going to be better than the other one. And folks, this is not easy. Sometimes it gets real dangerous. They'll come behind us and hit us in the back of the legs. Sometimes I have to put on an athletic cup, and, uh, you know, it just, it just gets nasty. It just gets nasty. And, um, but, but it's this me first, it's this me first um, whole mentality. And, and the question becomes, how, how do we move from a me first mentality to a God first mentality? Okay? That's really the story of Jacob. How do we move from me first um, to God first? Jesus said these words. He said, many of you uh, who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Did you hear that? Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. It's not always the one who is first that gets ahead, right? Jesus is letting us know uh, how the kingdom of heaven works. If, if your pursuit of the kingdom of heaven is all about you, if it's all about what you want, what you desire, and your ego, and your ego is so big that you put that out there, and it doesn't matter what's going on, but that you want it your way all the time, and that's your before everything else, then you will never achieve what Jesus says in those words. He says that the last shall be first. If you live in a world where your ego is prime and so big, um, we have challenges with others because if people aren't telling us what we want to hear, if they're not feeding our ego, and we all know people like that, that they require us to feed their ego, 
But whenever somebody doesn't feed our ego and they say something that's contrary to what we think about ourselves, then we get a little chippy. We get a little nasty with them. We get a little protective and we don't like, we think they're picking on us, but really what they're trying to do is to tell us the truth and they're trying to get through the ego that we have here. You know, me first is a miserable way of life. It's, it's a, whenever we just think of ourselves, it's so, it's so draining. We have to always presuppose so many things up to keep this lie going that it's all about me and that I'm the best and this and that and the other. And it's so challenging. And what we end up doing is we end up losing sight of the goal of what really what heaven is supposed to be, that the last will be first and the first will be last. So we'll spend all of our lives in a me first attitude. We'll spend all of our lives trying to be the best at everything. We'll, we'll spend all of our lives trying to be number one. And what we find out is when we get to heaven, guess what? Everything that we spend our time in trying to be number one, it doesn't matter because those who are last are gonna be first. So Jesus also said, what, will, what good will it do for a person if he or she loses the whole world and forfeits their soul? There are some of us here today who, who really, the greatest lesson that we can leave here today with is we need to lose ourself so that we can walk with God in the world. We need, to put, we need to put on the shelf everything that we think of ourself so that we can walk with God in the world. And we need to be able to put God first. And what that means is that instead of pursuing success, what it means instead of pursuing a self-serving attitude, what it means instead of pursuing a me-first attitude, we must surrender that. And God says, stop being a me-first person. So Jacob uh, enters the world holding on to his brother's heel. Now the word Jacob or the name Jacob not only means heel grabber, it also means deceiver. And this is really important because um, it tells us that God can use even someone who is as deceptive as Jacob for the greater good of the kingdom's purpose. Uh, we know that his brother Esau is an outdoorsman. We know that Esau is great with the bow. We know that Esau is a great hunter. He can, you know, uh, put the camouflage on and sneak up on animals and kill them. He can take out his knife in a, in, in a single leaping bound and he can skin them. He can gut them. He's a, he's a great cook of the outdoors and all that stuff. The scripture tells us that his brother Jacob was quite different. It says that, that Jacob lived in the tents. And the loose translation of that is that while Esau was out sweating in the sun, getting grimy and dirty and, and hunting and all those things, Jacob's at home watching Beat Bobby Flay on TV. You know? And so that's the difference between the two of these guys. And so we see that there's already conflict that's going on. Uh, Jacob could cook, Esau could hunt, and the time comes where Jacob realizes that I need to do something to get ahead. And he sells his brother Esau a pot of beans... And Esau says, I will surrender my right of being number one in the family to you because of that. So when you're centered on yourself in life, it's, it's never enough. Whenever you're clutching the heel of, of mentality, so to speak, it says to us that we want more. It's as if the focus of life's desire is to want more than someone else has. It's not enough to be rich. We need to be richer. It's not enough to be more talented. We want to be well, it's not enough to have talent. We want to be more talented. It's not the uh, same to be thin. We want to be thinner. You know, we want to be better looking than other people. And we just kind of fall into that. And really where we see the story of Jacob, it brings us back because we find out that Jacob, in order to accomplish this uh, whole deception that he's doing, he has to lie to his father. And not only lie to his father, he has to deceive his father and make his father believe something that isn't true. 
So the scripture goes on and it says that, now we got to remember as we read this, that, that Isaac, his dad, Isaac's eyesight was shot. I mean, you know, he, he had gone to the optometrist and uh, he had failed the OHPNTZ test. And see, I memorized that. And, and all those things that come with that. And he could not see. And probably what we would gather from this is all he could see was shadows. So he couldn't see features or anything like that. So just kind of know that as we're getting into the story. Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and she put them on her younger son, Jacob. And she also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goatskins. Remember, Esau's the hairy one. And, and the only way that Isaac is going to know the difference between Jacob and Esau is Esau, the firstborn, who is going to get the blessing is Harry. So Rebecca, his mother, is working with this deception, and she's putting goat skins on the smooth places. So where Jacob, you know, uh, manscapes, Isaac, or Esau doesn't, and, and so he's just Harry, and Harry's coming out of everywhere from what he could see. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. So Isaac loves Esau because he's a hunter. He's the firstborn, and he delves into that. Rebecca, mama, loves Jacob because he spent time in the tents with her, watching you know, cooking shows and things like that. And, and so we know that it's there. So Isaac says to Esau, the time has come for me to bless you with a family blessing. He's getting older. And he says, but first of all, Esau, I want you to go out, and I want you to hunt, I want you to kill something, I want you to come home and cook it, and then I want you to feed it to me. Then after I finish eating it, notice he's dragging this out, you got to do all this for me before I do this for you. After I'm finished eating, then I'm going to give you the family blessing. So we see this happening, and then Rebecca hears this conversation between Esau and his father. And so she tells Jacob, and she says, you know, your dad is going to give us blessings, so we need to conjure up a way for you to get it because you're more deserving and I like you better and uh, you're going to get the blessing and not your brother. So she puts all this hair on his body. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread that she had made and he went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son. So this is Isaac and Jacob. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? So dad's already wondering, something's going on here. How did you go out and find the game, skin it, kill it, clean it, cook it, and bring it to me so quickly? Now listen to what Jacob's response is. The Lord your God gave me success. There are times that you and I blame God too, isn't it? Or we use God, and we use that the Lord told me, or God said I should, and, and by doing that, we want to convince and deceive others to follow us or to go along with what we say. And this is exactly what Jacob is doing. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so that I can touch you, my son, and to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Isaac is being very careful. He knows the importance of this blessing. He knows what his son Jacob is like. And he's wanting to make sure that this truly is Esau. So Jacob went close to his father Isaac. He touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother. So he blessed him. And I think it's really important here that we can get so good at our deception, we can get so good at pulling the wool over everyone else that we can even convince those that are closest to us. 
We can trick them. We can trick our spouses. We can trick our kids, our parents, our friends. We can trick people to believing what we want them to know. So Esau comes in and he sees that, that Isaac has just blessed Jacob with his blessing. And Esau is, is angry and he shouts, I'm going to kill you, Jacob. I'm going to kill you for what you're doing. You've stole my blessing. And his mother, Rebekah, looks at Jacob. And you know what she says to Jacob as Esau's coming in to kill Isaac? Run, Forrest, run. And Jacob starts running and he's gone for 21 years. 21 years, he stays away from his family because he's afraid because of what the deception that he's done, but more importantly, he's afraid that he'll be killed for what he's done. So it's possible to get what you want and, and, and not want what you got. So it's possible to get what you want and not want what you got if what you get, you've done it the wrong way. Okay? So it's possible to get what you thought was a blessing only to find what you got leaves you on the run because you were pretending to be something that you really aren't. So God cannot bless who you pretend to be. This is really important. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. If you're pretending to be someone or something that you're not, God can't bless that. And we learn through the life of Jacob that that's the case. God can't bless Jacob dressed like Esau uh, it's because he has the me attitude, and, and a lot of us have that, and the me that we are frustrates us, and we yearn to be the me that we think is better, and, and some of us will, will dream about what that is, and, and you know, it's kind of, you know, you're sitting here thinking about what, what your um, you know, person that you really could be, and you come up with all those traits, and you really like that, and it's really good. And some of us, what we do is we will go into our schools and we'll, we'll wear all the really cool clothes because that's what all the cool kids do. And, and it's not the clothes that really are the clothes that we would wear, but if we wore the clothes that we would wear, nobody would like us. Or we go into the workplace and we, we become, you know, kind of the, the brown noser because we want to get ahead. But if we were just ourselves, our abilities would be recognized. So we, we are pursuing to be people that we really aren't. And God says, I can't bless you if you're pretending to be somebody that you really aren't. So here's the point. What good is the blessing of Isaac if you can't even stay in the house after you get it? Jacob's on the run. He's on the move. After 21 years, Jacob realizes it's time to go home. So he's gone 21 years. It's time to go home to make amends with my brother. It's time to go home and make amends with my family. And, and we began this morning reading the scripture of him wrestling. Remember that? He's wrestling in a wrestling match. He's wrestling. He's asking for a blessing, let go, all those things. Now, how old do you think Jacob was in that story that we started with? How old do you think he was when he was wrestling with the angel? You think he was like in his teens, 25 or 40? He actually was 76 years old. Should have known better. So he's 76. Now he's gone 21 years. Do the math. I, got, I actually got the math wrong at the last service. So I was like, no, pastor, it's 96. It's actually 97. So 97, 76 plus 21. He's 97 years old. And he comes back and he's in this wrestling match. I mean, doesn't that put a different spin on the story? He's wrestling with a heavenly being at 97. His hip goes out. How many 97-year-olds, if you're wrestling with somebody, your hip's going to get thrown out? Yeah, it's going to. You know, I'm 28 and it happens. I mean, it's just the same thing. So, so, so his hip goes out and we, and we realize the problem that's with that. But all of Jacob's life, he's been grabbing onto something else. 
and he's been succeeding because he's latched on, he's grabbed on, he's the deceiver, the heel grabber on everything else. And in this story, wrestling with the, with the angel or with the celestial being or whatever you want to say it is, God holds on to Jacob. He's tired. He can't go any further. He's had enough, but God holds on to him. And that's what God's grace is. When we're ready to give up, when we're ready to let go, when we're ready to say it's all done, I can't do this anymore, God holds on to us. And God's grace makes us new. I found through the conflicts of my life that it's in those moments I find myself the weakest. It's in those moments when um, my heart's wrenching or tearing. It's in those moments when I'm just crying my eyeballs out. It's in those moments of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, it's in those moments that, that I realize God's holding on to me. And God's reassuring me in those times, which I know God is reassuring you. And I know that as you've cried your tears, I know that as you've had your hearts wrenched, I know that as you've gone through the challenges and the pain of your life, that when you have said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is this happening to me? Like Rebecca with her prayer, why, Lord? That God is holding on to you. And because of that, he won't let you go. So the word today is we need to stop pretending. We need to stop deceiving. We need to stop denying. It's time to come to the point in our life where we realize we're just tired of running. We're tired of running from the challenges. We're tired of running from the complications. We're tired of those things. We're tired of the cancer. We're tired of the divorce. We're tired of the challenges in our homes. We're tired of the issues with our kids. We're tired, we're tired, we're tired. We're tired of the change of God's church. We're tired of our community. We're tired of our school. We're tired of taxes. We're tired of national politics. And we get to that point where we don't want to hold on. We get to the point in our life where we're just saying, all I have is losses. And Jacob learned when he was tired out that God held on to him. So today, that's our lesson. In those moments, God is going to stretch our character and he is going to make us the better person that he's created us to be.